You're listening to This is Yoga Therapy. I'm your host, Michelle Lawrence, and I've had the opportunity to interview many of those who are making a difference at the intersections of yoga and health. And I'm here to share with you their stories and conversations. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, I interviewed Artemis Emily Doyle and Bhairav Thomas English. With over 35 years of combined experience, Artemis and Bhairav are students and practitioners of various mystic traditions. They are lineage holders in the tradition of Shiva Hum Tantra. Together, they are the authors of The Power of Tantra Meditation, the founders of Anuttara Ashram School, teacher trainings, and the Tantra and Yoga podcast. They live in a simple home off-grid in the sacred mountains of the Nishka people in northern British Columbia, Canada. Together, they established Anuttara Ashram and the Anuttara Turiyatita School, which offers teachings and trainings in the Tantra Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, and non-duality. They create spaces for love to take form through service, study, and spiritual practice. We're going to speak about their life and work and more on the podcast today. And this is my first time meeting both of you. It's so lovely to have you here and meet you. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Can you each start by sharing what brought you to your path and the work that you do today? Perhaps maybe Artemis, you can share first and then Bhairav. Sure. There's a lot to say here, but I'll try to synopsize. It's been 15 years of practice for myself, but actually I was originally introduced to meditation as a child. So I've been aware of meditation and trying to meditate since a very young age, but only being kind of consistent and having a better understanding of what meditation is since my later teens. So What initially really brought me to this path, I guess, would be through travel and exploring different meditation communities, yoga communities, spiritual communities, and starting to realize that this could not just be a hobby that I do at home alone to try to de-stress, but it could be actually a way of life that you can actually live yoga, meditation, and spirituality. And it, yeah, like I say, it doesn't have to be a hobby or a part-time thing. So through exploring those communities and traveling to different ones, I really started to develop not only a desire to practice, but an aspiration and a burning desire to know what are the highest gifts that yoga and meditation can really bring us beyond just de-stressing and becoming more flexible. And it was through that aspiration that then I started to have a dedicated spiritual practice and started to seek out maybe more mature communities such as ashrams. And I guess we could say that that makes a very long story very short, but that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, it sounds like you've been a longtime seeker and really wanted to go deep in that. And that's kind of where you are on your path, right? And and you're living your yoga here. And we're going to talk some more about that too. What about you, Bhairav? Well, when I was quite young, I, you know, I was brought up as Christian, as Pentecostal. And so I had some close experiences with the divine, but I found that there was a lot of hypocrisy in the church, a lot of things that didn't fit with me. So it was around the age of 21 that I started to become more interested in something else that was beyond. It was actually after a near-death experience that had happened. 
And this then brought me to start to travel. I eventually made it to India and started with Buddhist teachings. I was mostly interested in Buddhism. Then I met my first teacher who gave me a lot of inspiration, a lot of aspiration for knowing the divine. And then as I deepened into that practice through many years of practice and service, I eventually met with our guru, Guruji Rajkumar of the Shivaham lineage, and met him in India. Then that opened up a whole new world of Tantra and deepening into that. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know more about the lineage. So Mm -hmm. perhaps you can each share with us, or maybe one of you wants to speak with or to it, maybe both of you do, but I'd love to know more about your lineage and tradition and the practices that are at the heart of it. I think the, the first thing that's coming forward to share right now is it is traditional, it is authentic, and it is powerful, um, the lineage and the practices within it. And along with that, I would say that the practices that we would do for the most part are things that people have never seen before and would never really expect could be a spiritual practice. Could you give example? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, a lot of it is also very secretive as well, but give a general view of what you might see. Like people are wearing specific colors to generate particular energies. They are um, having fire ceremonies. They are building geometric shapes and uh, chanting mantras over them. They are putting herbal pastes on their body and and drawing them in particular shapes or placing them on certain areas that might have energetic blockages. They are holding their bodies almost in asana postures, but for longer periods of time to open the energy and get it flowing in a particular way. So I think at least for myself, when you know, first coming to meditation as a young child, most of what I saw and perceived as meditation was people wearing robes and and, and Buddhism, really. So the practices that we're doing with Guruji Maharaj to the Shivaham lineage are very unique. Maybe I might even say strange, um, but so powerful. And really, you can never really know what you're going to be doing with Guruji, but the first time doing a, a yatra, a spiritual pilgrimage with him, the things that we saw and the things that we did I, are miraculous, really. And I, I can remember we all had to hold hands at one point. And I was new to the group. And so I grabbed the hand of another person. We're all supposed to chant mantras. And when I reached for her hand, I was electrocuted. And I, was, I turned to her and I was like, I was just electrocuted. She's like, it happens all the time. Just grab my hand. Yeah, just to give some insight of of this lineage. And wow, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we speak about how how it's authentic, and the the head of the lineage is uh, Guruji Rajkumar, and he would look like probably a taxi driver in India. He's not dressed; he wears these cargo kind of uniform type things, so he he isn't dressed in a specific way. And that's uh, very um, common in Tantra, because in Tantra, as compared to yoga or Vedanta or other paths coming from India, it's a monastic path, originally a monastic path. So yoga was a monastic path. So you had to go out and be a monk for five years, 10 years, 20 years, a lifetime on that path, whereas Tantra 
was a path made for householders, essentially. You can be a monk on the path as well, but it's a path made for householders. So it's a path made for you and I, for all of the world who are in the world. So in that respect, even though we do a lot of practices, there isn't a lot of like um, hypocrisy that you might see in other in other fields of philosophical thought or other religions that you might see, because it is a path very grounded and down to earth as householders, as people who live in the world with uh, partners, with kids, etc. So, mm. And so when you, you say that it's grounded in the world and it's for householders, might you also say that like you bring all of it to your practice and everything can be lived and practiced in the same way. That's another way that I've understood Tantra, right? So we we invite it all. It's not like you say for cave dwellers, but it also means that the everyday experience is brought to the practice. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that um, that there isn't like a specific, like we move only towards the purity or to that pure thing, but everything, all of the manifestation is part of the the body of the divine, is part of the body of the goddess. So then everything has its place and everything has its importance. Even difficult mm-hmm. to have its yeah. in that place. Uh-huh. And from what I understand, and you, you've mentioned this just a, a few moments ago, Artemis, but I understand that you use mantra as a healing modality. Can you speak more about that? Yeah, there's a few things to say, but I think going off of what Bhairav has just mentioned, because Tantra is working with all aspects of life, the mantras that we're working with are not just for spiritual awakening. We can also be using mantras to attract the perfect partner, to get that job, you know, and also to manifest good health, like anything that we could possibly desire spiritually or worldly is possible through mantra. And the way that mantras work from from our understanding and our teachers' explanations is really the entire tantra sees that there's these two principles in the world, Shiva and Shakti. Shiva is emptiness. Shakti is, is, is dynamism. Shiva is nothingness. Shakti is everything. So therefore, everything that could possibly per, be perceived is the goddess this table, the sounds of our voices here in this podcast, even your internal world is all the goddess. And the goddess in her most fundamental nature is energy, is is that creative power. And we then are, are made up of energy. I mean, science has even found this, that everything is fundamentally energy in various degrees of condensed form. So when we chant a mantra, we are actually bringing an energetic frequency into our body that then causes us to shift and to align with that frequency. A way that I sometimes describe it is like, if I were to take my nails on a chalkboard and scratch down, that's going to make you feel one way versus if I ding a singing bowl, it's going to make you feel another way. So we know that sound has this impact on us mentally, physically, emotionally. And so what mantra is doing is working on a very subtle level to shift our inner world to come into alignment with a particular frequency. Yeah, so beautifully said. Do you want to add to that, Bhairav? Yeah, I was I was just going to say, and it, it does it 
through those vibrations and the resonance of the mantra itself. There's also another quality in that. So if we take any mantra from a book and it's mm-hmm. the book says, oh, this this mantra is for healing. The uh, Trayambakam mantra, Mahamrichunjaya mantra. So we take this and it says you have to do it for a certain amount of times to heal yourself or whatever. The thing that's missing, and you can do it in that way for healing, the thing that's missing is actually uh, receiving it from a teacher, from an authorized teacher of a lineage. It doesn't have to be our lineage, but of a lineage who has already empowered that because then it, it takes that mantra and is able to to bring energy with it yet during that time of initiation. And so what, what tantrics found, and also the Vedics too, in times, times past, they found actually that energy could be stored into a mantra. So this is why often in India, when we when people have initiation or, or what's known as diksha or whatever, when energy is sent from practitioner or from a teacher to a practitioner, it's often done well with the thumb or something touching a part of the body, but it's also done through mantra because the mantra can store that energy and then it can be placed into the body. So then that the body will vibrate with that mantra for a while. Now, if you don't do anything with the mantra, it will just eventually deplete. But if you start to use that mantra and work with that mantra, then over time, we can empower it enough in ourselves so then we can also offer it to other people as well. What a beautiful explanation. Thank you. Powerful. I've had certainly my own experience with mantra and the potency of it, right? Especially when delivered by someone who I guess would be a lineage holder or is steeped in the practice. So I'd love to know more about your book as well, The Power of Tantra Meditation. Would you say that that's a good place to start if folks are interested and want to learn about more about you and your teachings? Yeah, definitely. That's why we wrote the book is Tantra can be, it's a huge and sometimes confusing world to start to dip our toes into. And a lot of the books that are written about Tantra are either about sex, which isn't what Tantra is about, or they're very scholarly and hard to start to try to digest when you're brand new to the path. So this is a really simple book to get the basics and to start practicing right away. That being said, though, we do also have a free course that some people might be interested in that is all about mantra and how to use mantra in a way to to help awaken spiritually or also in all the other realms as well. Great. You want to say anything else about the other things that you offer? Like, you know, the book and and uh, the course could be great starting points, but what else do you have going on, particularly this season or this year that you'd like to share? Maybe that's alive for you that you're excited about. We're pretty excited about the Tantric Heart series. So for us, you know, we are Tantric practitioners, but we also couple that with Bhakti, which is the path of love. And in the world of Tantra, they teach a lot about the Hridaya, the spiritual heart. So this is, we also have a free ebook if people want to just get the free stuff that's out there, but this is a course that we're doing where people get to really start to dive into the power of their heart as a place for spiritual awakening, but also a place of wisdom, a place of connection with the divine as well. So um, that's something that we're sharing this year online that we're very excited about. 
are most of your offerings online these days? I'm just curious about that. You know, as someone else who offers online trainings and really started doing that during the pandemic, and there still seems to be a thirst for that. It's different now. And people also, I think, want to come together. But the accessibility of online trainings is really unrivaled. It's very true. It's it, We are also open here in British Columbia. We have our community here. We're open uh, from the beginning of July to about the end of August, which is a place and opportunity for people to come into community and to practice with spiritual sangha and to learn more about mantra and tantra and and karma yoga as well. So, So I'd love to talk about your personal sadhana, your personal practice as our final question. I'd love to hear from both of you on it. I always ask this at the end of the podcast. So, In our training programs at Inner Peace Yoga Therapy, we put a strong emphasis on personal practice and really think it comes first, right? Before you can teach or be a therapist or hold that space for others, like really being solid and steady in your own practice in your own self is so paramount. So I'd love to just kind of hear from each of you what your personal spiritual practice looks like, maybe on a daily basis. Yeah, I want to first start just by saying... I love that this is the foundation of your school. And it made, when I read that, it brought a lot of feeling of connection as well as respect because you're going to teach that if you know. It's so true. Any issues that we could possibly face in life or even in our spiritual practice can always be overcome through consistent sadhana. And there's going to be days where we sit down and that that sadhana is difficult and days where it's easy, but it's always going to be helping us, even if it doesn't feel like it's going the best, you know? So that is a pillar for us as well, is, is sadhana. So, Kamini, you go first, because we have a shared sadhana that we both go ahead. Yeah, so my daily sadhana is uh, pretty much revolves around doing an hour of mantra every day. Once or usually twice a year, we go into retreat in the during Navaratri, and we do probably between somewhere between six and nine hours of sadhana for about 11 days, as well, of course, once a year, trying to go visit our teacher in India is very important. And we consider that part of sadhana too. Besides that, well, you go ahead. Now. You go. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we both have this mantra, Japa, it's called the recitation of mantras that we are doing every day for an hour. Plus the festivals, these specific times where we increase the sadhana we do, which is actually aligned with the astrology and the time of year. So it's a really powerful and potent time to be doing sadhana. So then doing as much as you can makes it that much better. But also on top of that for myself, there are two practices that are quite consistent. One is just self-inquiry. It's called, I don't know how many of your students are familiar with that, but inquiring As I go about my day, this isn't a formal sitting down, but inquiring in and asking myself, who am I, as well as just simply remembering that I am awareness, that I am that which perceives the body, that perceives the mind, that perceives the emotions, and come back in a way, maybe a basic way to understand it is I come back to remembering myself as the sky rather than the clouds. So that's just done throughout the day. And another practice that I wish I did more, but don't do daily, is something coming from my Kashmir Shaivist tradition, which is exploring 
the body as divine through kind of a somatic surrender of releasing the body and bringing awareness into particular areas of the body and exploring sensation as energy appearing within consciousness rather than this thick form that's rigid and tense, but as something that's always evolving, which we mentally know, but can experience when we deepen into a kind of meditative exploration of the body. And probably our main sadhana is we have a 14th month old. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's a sweetheart. And we probably would have had him at a later date, but our teacher told us we have to have a child. As part of really, he encourages this for all of his students as part of really living in the world. Yeah. If you don't have that, then there will be something missing in life as a householder, as somebody who who lives in the world. So he urged us on and urged us on. And then finally we said, okay, let's do this, which was about two years ago now. And yeah, so this is probably our biggest sadhana, even though, you know, a lot of people I know do it because of a craving for something else in their life or, or maybe it just happens for them and they don't plan it. But for us, it was really a step into deepening our sadhana, into deepening our practice as householders. Because I I did live somewhat as a monk, not really, but somewhat as a monk for many years doing yoga. And so for myself anyway, I have to see the other side of the world. Yeah. How's it going? It's a lot of sleepless nights, but it's getting easier and easier. Mm And he's such a... Wonderful. Yeah, I so appreciated everything you shared with us today. And as someone, I'm a mom of twin girls, and they came into my life when I was 43. So I had many years of life and what I thought was practice and sadhana, right? And certainly was, but in a different way until their arrival. And it definitely (laughs) brings it in a different way. That's for sure. But thank you so much. It's really been delightful to speak with you, to hear a little bit about you and to be inspired to learn more and to share that out with folks who might be curious as well. So it's been lovely to talk with you and I'll share in the show notes how folks can get in touch with you, your website and the things that you offer as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, visit us at innerpeaceyogatherapy.com.